I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Listen up, Pursuit peeps. We have with us today an Olympian that is qualified and gearing up to compete in Tokyo this summer. Just a quick side note so you can be educated and impress your friends. Even though the Tokyo Olympic Games were postponed for the first time in history from 2020 to 2021, it will still officially be called the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. All right, now that we have that all cleared up, Victoria Samba was basically born to be a fighter. With a dad as a professional boxer, she took to Taekwondo at an early age and caught a passion for it. Making the U.S. national team at the young age of 15, she was full of promise and her future looked bright. But as every amazing story goes, that's when her challenges began. One knee surgery, a comeback, qualifying to the Puerto Rican national team, then two more surgeries, then another and another, and six knee surgeries and 17 scars later, Victoria's dream of becoming an Olympian finally came true but only after completely surrendering that dream. She walks us through the entire journey of heartache and comebacks and more heartache and more comebacks. Her faith was what allowed her to continue on and finish her race to the Olympics. And be sure to stay tuned to the end because Victoria turned the tables and asked me several questions and wanted some advice on how to approach her first Olympic Games. Before we get into this fun episode, I want to read you a recent five-star review we got on Apple iTunes. It's from JBL and is titled Amazing and Inspiring. It reads, I love this podcast. It sheds a real pure light on what and who these athletes are besides athletics that people don't get to see by simply watching them compete. There in your inspirational and amazing life lessons and advice helps not only athletes, but everyone strive to try to make themselves better. I hope this podcast goes on for years. JBL, thank you so much for that review. And knowing that we're making an impact on listeners, that's why we love and keep doing this podcast. And if you're enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast, be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening and give us a five-star rating and review. And if you're loving the show, make sure you're sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. They're going to love you for it. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Victoria Stamba, I'm so excited to have you on the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and a a big honor for me. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, we were just talking before about how we live in the same area. We're really surprised we haven't run into each other yet. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's a small town, but... uh... Yeah, I guess so many trees, uh, it's hard It's hard to bump into people. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Well, I want to talk a little bit about how you got into Taekwondo in the first place, because you've been doing it for quite a while now. So kind of tell us a little bit of your backstory on how you got into sports in the beginning. So I was, uh, I was pretty good at all uh, sports. You know, I was an athletic little girl and uh, I just did whatever my parents told me to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, my dad was a professional boxer. And so he was really into fighting sports. And um, my parents, my mom, you know, and dad didn't want to put me in boxing. Um, but they found a good compromise of Taekwondo because my cousins were doing it. And so they just told, told us to, you know, join in and we did. And 
you know, I just, I did it because my parents told me to, my cousins were doing it. So, you know, I guess that was motivation and, you know, felt like I had to do it. And then eventually, you know, I, I found the love for it. So how, how old were you when you started? I was eight years old. Okay. And, and how long did it take to develop that love? Not too long, actually. I would say, um, I want to say like nine years old, especially when I had my first competition. Uh, I was nine years old. I was a blue belt and I won gold. And it was just so, it was just an easy day for me. And it was, it was so much fun. And, and then I got to the stage where I started watching all Jackie Chan movies. And then, (laughs) and then that was it. That was it. That was the, that was the deal breaker. When I saw Jackie Chan, Jet Li, I was like, that I want to be these guys. <laughs> nice. So Jackie Chan and a gold medal just sealed the deal right there. <laughs> exactly. It was that easy. <laughs> I love it. Well, so at just 15 years old, you made the U.S. national team. So what was that experience like? Because I know just a couple of years later, you then made made the Puerto Rican national team. So kind of walk me through this whole process as a teenager and how this all kind of played out. Yeah, I never saw that coming when I was uh, young at all, for sure. So when I was 14 years old, I made the junior national team for Team USA. First, we went to world championships or junior world championships, uh, and it was such an uh, eye-opener. We were in Izmir, Turkey, and it's like, what a country to be in for your first uh, big junior uh, uh, competition. And it was just one of the best experience. Well, I would say one of the best experience in my life at that point. And so um, I just I found an even deeper love for the sport through, uh, you know, traveling and meeting different people from different countries. And then at 15 years old, I made the U.S. national team, uh, the senior national team. And uh, I was the youngest one on the team. And uh, that's when I think my the spark for or the passion, the fire was lit to go to the Olympics and qualify for the Olympics. And, and that's in that path. So from there, I was 15 years old. When I was 16, I had my first uh, ACL surgery uh, or ACL uh, tear and then surgery. I was 16 years old. It was in 2010. And then um, I had to get the surgery, the, the rehab. I had to do all that stuff. So that kind of put me back uh, quite a bit. And the country wasn't looking at my weight at that point any longer, just because, you know, I was uh, not competing. And what Team USA does basically is, you know, they give a certain amount of uh, time. So more or less like two to two and a half years to see what weight categories are making the most um, medals or bringing home the most medals or are having the best results at competitions. And so uh, that put me back a lot. And uh, so in 2011, they made the decision to take, no, actually it was in 2010, they made the decision to make, to take the heavier weight categories. So in 2010, when I was basically still recovering from my knee, they decided to take 125 and 145 uh, to the London Olympic Games. Is that because they only have so many spots to take or how does that work? Right, exactly. So that and that's one of the things in Taekwondo that a lot of the athletes are, you know, a little upset about because for the Olympics, only two weight categories can qualify uh, female and male per country. Oh, wow. So out of the out of the eight weight categories, male and female, only two can qualify for the Olympics. And so 
it's not only hard to qualify for the Olympics in your weight category, but it's hard to actually get your weight chosen right. to go qualify. Right. You're like so. not even just competing in your weight class. You're kind of competing against the other weight classes for like success, right? Exactly. A hundred percent. And that's where it can get really a lot of tension and a lot of, you know, just behind the back fighting kind of things and politics and all that I know you know about. But yeah, so that's a battle for sure that you have to kind of fight within your team. <laughs> so where did that kind of leave you then? I mean, because you're you were what, 16 when you had that ACL surgery, that first one? Yeah, I was 16 and then I turned 17. So yeah, like how long so was like that? Was... Yeah, how long was that recovery and everything? So that was my first ACL surgery in 2010. And that was um, uh, a very bad experience for me. And uh, it long story short, I can give all the details, but the the gist of it is it, it was actually a failed ACL and the MRI, it, it said that as well. I just didn't understand being such a young girl. I didn't understand what that really meant. And the doctor told me that uh, to give a little bit more time for your body to uh, kind of adapt to the new, new cadaver and this and that. And so I, I know I kind of believed him or whatever. And I kept going. And the truth is my that cadaver never took to my body at all. And so from 2010 to 2012, I was actually competing with essentially no ACL in my right knee uh, or a failed ACL. Were you in excruciating pain during that time? Yeah, a lot of emotional pain, that's for sure. Uh, Mental as well, you know, because being so young, I've always been an optimistic person. But I knew deep down inside that I wasn't well. And I would try and just lie to myself and try because that's all I could do. You know, at that point, it's like, what do you do? So I just kind of lied to myself, say like, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's fine. It's normal. But deep down inside, I knew that my knee was never the same. It was not the same. And there was something wrong. I just didn't want to deal with it to be back in that situation of having another surgery or something like that. So... Right. Just kind of like hoping it's not as bad as it feels. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would basically just ignore it. And, um, you know, my my knee would slide. So basically, like I would be in a competition or a training and uh, when I would land wrong, uh, my knee would uh, just slide and just basically give out and I would like fall down. And then there was a lot of pain. So, yes, a lot of pain. And um, my knee would swell up a lot. And, you know, it's just it was very unfortunate circumstance that's for sure but why well, I, I kind of had a similar actually a similar experience not my ACL but my wrist um i had a lot of damage going into 2004 olympics but had some cortisone shots got through that but then okay i realized i need to have some surgery after and so i trusted this doctor and totally botched the surgery i didn't know it at the time I mean, clip tendons, mess things up all together. And I was in excruciating pain in the months following that as well. I mean, it took me over a year to realize that it was not me or not, you know, just like pain from the surgery, like it was actually messed up. So it took a, yeah, time and, and more people looking at it to to discover that. So, I mean, I guess at what point, because I know you've had more surgeries, like did did it finally just go or like would it, what finally happened to to move past this point? Well, that's really interesting. You said that. Um, that's the, it's a very similar parallel. That's for sure. Um, did you ever? How long? If you don't mind me asking, how long was it uh, until you actually took an action? Well, again, like I mean, I was 
trying to get back up on 10 meter quickly. So I thought maybe it just needs more time, maybe because I never uh-huh. had a wrist surgery before, you know, and I kept kind of like you just wanted to look at the positive side. Like maybe I'm just rushing this too fast, but I thought maybe that was going to be my last year competing. And when I decided to keep going, um, you know, it was like maybe another, so it's probably a full year until I had it looked at again and we were in season. So then I waited another, so it's probably a year and a half, I think until I finally had another surgery. So yeah, it was a lot of pain. <laughs> that's, that, that's very interesting. Cause mine was actually a year and a half. Cause this was, um, happened in 2010 and then it was, now, mine was about two years because it was in the end of 2012 that I tore my other ACL and meniscus in the other knee at Pan and Champ at a Pan and Championships, actually. <laughs> and I knew exactly what happened. And that was one of the just moments. feel it go and you knew. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. You know. And it was so painful. So, so painful. And I knew exactly what happened. And I really thought that was the end of my career. Like, I, I thought, you know, I, I, I told myself, you know, this is it. And I, I told God basically like, this is it. Okay. This is a sign. I'm a stop. Uh, you know, and I, and, and I, I said, I, I quit. And then I remember a second later, I have a coach, you know, take my hands off my face and, and, uh, and tell me, don't quit. You're going to come back. Don't quit. Come back. And it was in that moment where I just felt this, you know, the presence of the Holy Spirit that I will say that I believe just kind of slapped me in the face. And and that was the answer that I needed, that I wasn't supposed to quit or give up at that moment. But he, I know God put the right person at the right time that I needed to hear those words, not to to quit and to come back. Did you, I guess when you, I'm, I'm assuming you went to a different doctor this time around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I definitely went to a different doctor. His name is Dr. Lowe. He's actually the doctor, had the head coach, uh, excuse me, the head doctor for the uh, Houston Texans. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So he's their orthopedic and uh, he's, she's like, I got to be in good hands now. <laughs> exactly. He's one of the best in the world and, and uh, he, and it shows so I definitely went to him uh, once I heard about who he was and, and that sort. And uh, he checked out my left knee that I just tore at the Pan Am Championships. And he's like, you have a pretty bad meniscus tear and you definitely have ACL. We're going to have to do those. He explained the process. And then before he left the room, I kind of like said, wait, sir, actually, can you check my right knee? Because I've been having some problems with it. And I, I didn't want to bring it up, but I knew if I didn't bring it up then, uh, and that was actually the time I needed to, to speak up about it. So he checked it out and I remember him like looking to his assistants and looking back to me and, and, and saying, your right knee is worse than the left knee that you just told surgery on both of your knees. Oh, and uh, yeah, and so that that started the process of uh, three knee surgeries within a period of six months. So you got them all done at different times. Yeah, oh. yeah. I had to I had to get those three done at different times. So the first one was the left knee uh, ACL and meniscus in 2012, and then I had to wait for that to heal a little bit so I can walk. And then I got the right knee. Um, I had the ACL taken out. And he had to fix up all the mess that the doctor did in the past. And then three months later, I had to wait for that to heal. 
And then he went ahead and, and put the ACL back in. So it was a process. It was a long process of surgeries and recovery. I, I can't even imagine. So, I mean, how are you processing all of that? I mean, were you more optimistic because of who this guy was and what he was doing? Or were you kind of like, dude, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> where was your brain at this point and your emotions too? Right. I think soon as he checked my right knee and he he said what he did, it just made me feel so, so good because all these years or the past couple years, I knew I wasn't crazy. I knew what I was feeling was was not right. Because I would tell people all the time, I would tell therapists, I would tell my parents and everyone would pretty much just say what all they can say, which is, you know, just, you know, uh, strengthen it a little bit more, or maybe just a little bit more time. And because they're kind of like, was, you've already had surgery, right? Like it must yeah, be. Yeah. 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 So, and, and what do they say at that point? So I was so, so excited that he said that. And, uh, I was so I was confident in him. And sure, sure enough, the first surgery he did on me and in, in, uh, the left knee in 2012, it was a you know, it was a pretty big surgery because of the meniscus. I felt so good. And I told my parents, I was like, this knee feels better than my right knee already. Oh, it's amazing. So it was really just me being able to feel my body. You know, I guess I'm very in tune with my body. You have to be right. Yeah. So. um I can, I was able to feel that and I was able to feel that oneness and, uh, yeah, I was able to feel it and that gave me the confidence. Man. So, I mean, were you excited then going in to have the right knee done also? Like, okay, maybe this is going to be normal again too. Yeah. I was so excited. It was, it was kind of crazy and the recovery was amazing. I felt so good. I, I got strong very quickly and, um, and honestly, the biggest part of it was my faith, you know, keeping my faith and and asking God every every single week, like, you know, if this is your will for me, like, show me, show me. Because at that point, I'm still young. I don't know what what God has uh, in store for me in my life. And my prayer um, since I was young is, you know, show me what your will is. Show me what your will is. And so that was where I wanted to be in life. But at the same time, I have my passion of Taekwondo, right? And so um, I, I think I, I still was holding on to it as, it, as, it, as in like it was, it was mine. I, I controlled it more than I let God control it. So I was still young and I had to learn to eventually to release that control. But I learned that later in my life. And that was the best thing. That was the best uh, experience that I have found in my life. That's yeah. for sure. Easier said than done, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I can relate to that totally. Well, so I want to come back to like, you have these three knee surgeries within like a year, six, six months, you said, but you were competing already in 2014 and meddling at international competitions. And I mean, 2015, you did well at Pan Am Games and all these others I have um, at a Rio Olympic qualifier. So what was that? I mean, did you feel like you were going to be strong enough to come back for Rio? How did how did those kind of next couple of years play out? Yeah, I felt so strong. And I, it was amazing. Like I said, uh, you know, I finally felt normal again. And that's why and I know 100% that that ACL surgery, the first one was complete horrible. Like it was not it was a failed ACL, just like the MRI said. 
and I felt normal. I I felt like my knees were tight, like nothing was going to give out on me. I had the confidence in my in my physical abilities at that point. I felt like myself again. And so, yeah, Rio was what I thought, you know, you know what I was going to qualify for. I really thought, you know, that was God's will for me because he allowed me to come back and uh pursue the sport and pursue my my dream and my passion of uh qualifying for the Olympics and um but sure enough, you know, Rio comes around and it wasn't my time yet. <laughs> well, how did that like what what did that look like? That was uh, a very interesting time in my life, uh, probably one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It was a time where I was in prayer and fasting and devotion and really seeking God of what his will was for my life and um if the Olympics was actually for me, if if that was his will for me, because I wanted it so bad, right? But um, I wasn't sure if that's what God wanted for me. <laughs> and so that was my that was my prayer. And that's what I was fasting on for months leading up to the Rio Olympic qualifiers. And uh, I was doing a devotion with my best friend and it started on a specific day. And, you know, when you read a devotion, you go uh, day by day of of whatever devotion that day falls on. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, sure enough, there was two times where I absolutely know is God speaking to me and speaking into my heart. The first time was the devotion specifically had a, a section where it was, uh, titled gate D eight. And it was the funniest thing. And it was just so cool because that day I was flying from Puerto Rico to Mexico. And the gate that I was no. flying out of was gate D8. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. It was, it was so crazy. And so I was like, whoa, okay, I think there's something I need to like pay, pay attention, attention to. <laughs> yeah. And so I was super excited. I was like, okay, that that was weird. When do I ever fly it out of this gate D8 in Puerto Rico? Because I never have done because I've flown out of Puerto Rico hundreds of times. And that was the first time of gate D8. So anyways, so I keep going with the devotion. And um, uh, soon enough, my uh, the fight day comes to, to qualify for the Rio Olympics. And uh, the devotion for that day uh, when I was going to when I fought was titled Not Now. Wait for the gift my father has promised you. When I saw the title, uh, I didn't want uh, to read the devotion. <laughs> yeah, I, I could, um, I could feel right? that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, "That's weird. I'm not going to read this devotion today." <laughs> and uh, and it was just the uh, the craziest event that happened at the Olympic qualifiers for Rio, where um, it was the qualifying match, and the girl that I was fighting i was super confident i i had beat her two weeks before in a scrimmage and i was just i, I already felt like i already won i already I already qualified for the olympics and that was the wrong kind of mentality and thinking right so sure enough i don't win and and it was it was a very very badly judged our uh refed fight but to sum it up, I lost by one point and I was very shocked and I was in just complete, uh, just uh, like I was shocked because of the way the judges handled it. And uh, it was very badly done. I just felt like, you know, something was robbed from me, like that was mine. And I felt completely robbed. And 
hurt and I hated the sport for a, a good day or so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I wanted to quit at that point and I I was just heartbroken and uh, I just couldn't understand how and why that would happen to me. And then sure enough, the very next day, I was like, okay, let me read the devotion I was supposed to read yesterday. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I read it, you know, I just feel this huge presence of love and the presence of just peace and happiness, uh, something I can't even describe. But what I picture is kind of like God just wrapping his arms around me and giving me a hug. And at that moment, I was able to continue on and and uh, it was actually just the very next day where I was like, OK, I'm going to go for Tokyo. <laughs> wow. That quick. That quick. Yeah. That. Oh, that's yeah. so that's really beautiful. And what, what I want to go back real quick before we jump into the next couple of years. Um, what could you you switch, like we said, from from U.S. to Puerto Rico? Like, how did that oh, right. play out? We never really talked about that. Right. Right. So, yeah. So in 2010, right, the uh, the USA. um USA decides not to take the smaller weight, which is my weight, and they take the heavier weight. So at that point, I'm like, wow, well, I want to go to London. You know, I have to go to the Olympics. So I was like, I'm going to look for a different country that will take me. And I uh, have Mexican uh, background and Puerto Rican background. And so uh, I was looking in Mexico and I didn't really like, you know, kind of how they handled their national team just because like you have to live there and, and this and that. And I, I wasn't interested. And then I heard about Puerto Rico and then um, the president of the Taekwondo Federation in Puerto Rico heard about me that I have a Puerto Rican family and uh, he invited me. And in 2011, I, I went to Puerto Rico and I made a Puerto Rico national team. Oh, wow. And yeah, that was it. <laughs> and you just kind of loved being with Puerto Rico since then. Yeah. At first it was really hard, like not going to lie. Like I was still team USA and it was really awkward for me kind of having to transition that. And I didn't feel my, you know, my Puerto Rican blood yet. And so it took me, you know, a couple of years to really feel like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. This is my team. This is my country. And, um, this is who I represent. And so, uh, that was an interesting transition. <laughs> yeah, we've got, I mean, that happens a lot in my sport too, where um, people with connections to other countries, um, they know their opportunity is sometimes greater there. So they try to petition the same way to see if that's a possibility. So uh, where I'm familiar with that. Like, that's not a weird thing to me. I just, I've not been through it myself. So yeah, I was just kind of curious how that affected you. Um, I love that you, you're fully, fully in now though. That's awesome. But I mean, kind of, because how you qualify at the Olympics though, it's really like international based, right? Like it's not so much a team qualifying, is it? Like, is it, I mean, I mean, explain it to me. Let me just stop talking over myself and explain to me how the like Olympic qualifying works. Uh, okay. So for Taekwondo, there's two ways to qualify. The first way is if you're ranked in the top six position of your weight category, you automatically qualify for the Olympics. Like in the world? Uh, in the world. Okay. So the, the top six players, they automatically qualify into the Olympics. Okay. Now, a- after that, there's uh, regional qualifiers for, ev- for each um, continent, right? So there's the Pan Am qualifiers, there's the Oceania qualifiers, there's the African qualifiers, there's the Asian Olympic qualifier, and the European Olympic qualifier. 
And so in each um, region, only two players can qualify per weight. So basically, when you go and um, try to qualify for your country, it's the top two. So basically, um, you get to the semifinals, you win, you qualify. So once you get into the finals, you don't have to fight. So it's uh, it's basically fighting in the uh, semifinals and you win, you get first, second, and you qualify for the Olympics. Wow, that's that's pretty wild. It's so different because, I mean, some sports, it's like your country automatically has spots. You just have to, you know, win the trials or whatnot. But ours ours is a little bit like that, too. Like for diving, we now have a world championships um, where like the top three synchro teams make it in and then the top 12 individual countries, like not not just the person, but the countries get a spot. And then they fill in the rest of the spots at the following World Cup that's usually in the test event, like in the Olympic pool, they'll take like the next so many people. There's usually four more synchro teams and like 18 more individuals, but um, gift call off our country spot. And some countries make their like whoever goes and earns the spot, they get uh-huh. the Olympic spot. But then other countries like the US, we just go and qualify our spots. And then we have an Olympic trials where we compete for those spots. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so that's similar to Taekwondo too. So and, and it 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 um, depends on the country and how they run things. So for example, at USA, uh, I think they did that the last Olympics where you don't only qualify the country, you have to come back to the US and fight off for that Olympic spot. So for Puerto Rico, they, you know, if you qualify for the Olympics, you qualify yourself. That's cool. Well, so you're gung-ho. Day after you missed making Rio, you were like gung-ho for 2020. But, and, and it looked like, I mean, I'm looking at your results and it looked like you were getting a lot of medals. You were doing really well, but then you had some more knee issues. Like what, what happened next? Like how, how are things going? How are you feeling? And then what happened? Yeah. So I was feeling amazing. My health, I thought, you know, like I was invincible, (laughs) even though I had already gone through four knee surgeries at that point in my life. But I thought I was still like, you know, I thought I was just 100% like good to go. And uh, it's a good way to think, but (laughs) it is. But uh, there's some point where you got to think a little smarter about what's actually happening to your body (laughs) when you train, you know, a little bit crazy like I was. So at that point, I was still young. I think I was yeah, 23 and um, I was training a lot. And I continue on 2017. I was doing really well. 2018, it was a hard year for me with a lot of politics going on. And uh, and then sure enough, I tear that same meniscus that I did back in 2012 in my left knee. And uh, I go see Dr. Lowe. He says, we're going to have to do a meniscectomy which is basically them taking tissue out of your knee. So taking the meniscus uh, tissue out. Um, And, you know, whenever you're going to take anything away from your body, especially the meniscus, uh, which is the cushion, right, in in between your knees, uh, which you really want, it's never a good thing. Did they replace it with something? They did not know. No. So that's the thing. It's like there's nothing. Well, at that point, he only took out 15%. 15%. So he told me, you know, it's, it's really not gonna, you're really not gonna feel different. And I said, okay. And I recovered. I felt good. I came back 2019. I was doing great. Started having more knee issues. My knee kept flaring up. Same knee. Same knee. And then I go to Pan Am Games in, uh, in Lima, Peru. 
And sure enough, that first fight in the second round, I hear a pop in my knee、mm. and I go down and I get right back up because I knew exactly what happened. And I said to myself, just finish this fight, just finish the fight, just finish the fight. That's it. And、uh, I won. I finished the fight. Wow. I go back and I was like, It's, it's definitely a torn meniscus because、uh, I couldn't、uh, straighten my knee all the way. So I knew exactly, you know, it was the meniscus. How do you keep fighting when you like know what has happened? Like, I mean, is it just pure adrenaline at that point? Yeah, I think it's pure. Yeah, I think it's just the adrenaline.、Um, but definitely was painful. But in my mind, I was like, there's no way I'm losing to this girl. <laughs> I'm not losing this fight. Um, Even if I yeah, only have one knee to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just did whatever I could just to get the fight over with and, and win. And, and after that, I was like dead and my knee was just horrible. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm not going to even try to, tr- to fight the next fight. The doctors told me, they're like, oh, it's just a sprain. It's just a sprain in your knee and this blah, blah, blah. And I was like, No, 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 I don't believe you. They're the doctors there at uh, uh, Lima.、Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, no. I know what I've done. I know. And they kept telling me, oh, it's fine. You can keep fighting. I was like, all right, I'll go. But I just let the, the fight go on. And I just, I knew I just had to get out of there and got out of there, lost. And as soon as I got home, I saw Dr. Lowe. He checked out the knee. He had. Other doctors in his,、uh, I guess, bubble check out my knee, and they told me that they're going to have to take another 15% of my meniscus out. And, you know, at that point, it's that's 30% total. I'm looking at 70% of my meniscus left, right? And at that point, I'm just like, well, I mean, are you sure? Like, is there any way you can sew it and repair it instead of, you know, just cutting it off? And、uh, he assured me that if he were to repair it, it would just bust again because the tissue was just not good in that area. Wow. So there's no point of like trying to stitch up bad tissue, it was just not going to work. And so I said, okay, let's go get it over with and let's get the su- surgery done. And so I got, had my sixth knee surgery, August 2019. And the The surgery did not go as I thought it was supposed to. So, apparently, while I was in、uh, surgery, Dr. Lowe had to go out, speak to my parents, and ask them permission to do what he did not think he was going to have to do. But it ended up being he had to take out、uh, 70%, oh, basically my whole meniscus. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He had to take out the rest of the meniscus because. From what he told my parents, that that the tissue is just just done. It's、uh, it's all worn and and tear torn and、um, it's just wear and tear, right? And、uh, he he asked for their permission, and they told him whatever he feels is best. And so I woke up after surgery. I was super happy, and then、uh, my parents tell me the news. I thought they were I thought they were playing. I I didn't believe them. And,、uh, and then Dr. Lowe comes and tells me what he had to do. And at that point, I just start bawling. And I was like, 
how could you do that? I, I was like, <laughs> like, how can you do that? You just, and, and I didn't say this out loud, but in my mind, I was like, you just took my whole career right. away from me. Like you just took my abilities away from me. Like, how are you going to take out my whole meniscus? I can't be an athlete with no meniscus. I can't be a, a recreational uh, human being um, with no meniscus. I, at that point, I really did feel like everything was had to come to end, not because I wanted to be, because I had no choice. And he was very down about it. He was not, you know, he was, I can tell he was sad, but at the same time, I trusted, you know, his his decision at the time. It's just not something that I wanted to be done, sure. right? No one wants that. So anyways, I thought that was going to be the end for me at that point. And then sure enough, God, God always sends the right message, the right person at the right time. And uh, it was my mom's friend who sent me a letter just randomly. She had no clue I had surgery that day. And she just sent me a long letter. Uh, it was in a text message. And it said a lot of things. But within the message, she said, God has seen how many times you've, you've um, overcome and how many times you've prayed. And God has seen uh, your tears. And, uh, and he's with you. Don't give up. Keep going. And it, a lot more stuff. But and that was to sum it up. And then when I read that message on that day, I was like, was this another God wing or is this just, you know, coincidence? Because at that point, I was the optimism. Yeah. yeah, the optimism wasn't there. And uh, and I know now that was that was a God wink. Um, but then I just couldn't see it. And so I, uh, you know, day by day, I just let life go on. And and I heard about Puerto Rico. You know, they they said, you know, we want to take you to the Olympic qualifiers. And at that point, I'm like, man, I don't know, like, if I should do it. You know, I, I didn't tell them about my surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just kept it very hush hush. hush. I didn't want to tell anyone, but they they chose me. And I was like, OK, you know, let's see how things kind of play out. And sure enough, like about two months go by and I was feeling okay. You know, I was feeling like, Hey, I can actually kind of move. I can kind of kick, I can do, you know, Taekwondo stuff like I used to <laughs> kind of. And, uh, yeah, just with time, I started getting more confidence. I started, uh, seeking, uh, help, uh, for, um, mental help, you know, with, overcoming such a big surgery and setback. And, you know, uh, it, it was definitely something that really helped me. And, and then, you know, just my faith that that was really the only reason why I decided to keep going. I, I told God, you know, open and close the doors in my life. If this is meant to be, then open the doors. And I, I pray that it will just be so obvious that I have to take this path. But if this is not what you want for me, Lord, I surrender. I, I'm done. I'm done trying to control my life. I'm done trying to control me qualifying for the Olympics. I'm done trying. I, I completely surrender everything to you. If I'm going to qualify, you're going to allow me to qualify. But at this point in my life, I'm done. <laughs> I was, I was done emotionally, mentally, you know, physically, spiritually, I was just drained. And, um, 
that's when I just released total control to Christ and and let him handle it. If it was meant to be, it's going to be. And I just took the back seat. (laughs) And what happened? Walk us through it. And the best decision of my life, right? Because, you know, I'm going... I'm I'm getting ready for the uh, Tokyo Olympic qualifiers. Um, I'm having, you know, a lot of doubts in my head. And I know that's just the enemy's attack, right? He attacks our mind first. And uh, at that point, I, I knew and I, I told my, uh, my, my boyfriend at the time, uh, now fiance, that, you know, Juan, you know, if this is going to happen, this is going to be a miracle. And this is going to be only by the grace of God, because I don't physically feel like myself yet. And I, I, I'm not, I don't have that confidence yet. And that was about maybe two months before the Olympic qualifiers, you know, and Christ was my confidence. That's the only, only, only way I was able to, to keep going in and walk in the stadium Olympic qualifying day and, and just be at peace and happy and um, no pressure at all. And I qualify for the Olympics. Uh, I mean, what was that moment like when you realized what just happened? I just felt the most amazing presence of, of peace and joy and, and happiness again. And I couldn't believe it. I I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I I, uh, I was just I jumped on my coach and I was just it was the best day, the best day of my life. And that happened like what the day before the world shut down, too. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's literally it happened. So I qualify and then boom, the next day, uh, the whole world shuts down. There's no Taekwondo tournaments, no tournaments for any sports, I believe. And everything shuts down. And I did not see any of that coming. So nobody did. No one, right? (laughs) So it was really strange. But man, look at God, the the timing Mm -hmm. (laughs) is too good. So how how did you feel with things shutting down? I mean, your spot stays confirmed, right? Yeah, my my spot was confirmed and everyone assured everyone who qualified for Tokyo. They assured all of us athletes that you guys are qualified for Tokyo. No one's going to take that spot away from you. Awesome. So now the question is when we're going to have the Olympics. And uh, that's what I was just kind of waiting around about. And and uh, I prayed about that, too, Of like I do everything you have to. But I was so happy and I was so relaxed that I was just enjoying that win. And I was just like, you know, whenever God has, if I, if the Olympics are going to be this year, the next year, I know his timing is perfect and his way is the best way. So I was very at peace. So I have to ask you a question because in your bio, you talk about your knee surgeries, but you also talk about your 17 scars on your knees. When you look at your knees, what do you see? What do you think about? Sometimes I actually like I don't like wearing shorts uh, <laughs> just because, you know, my it, you you can see the scars when I'm, you know, when I'm wearing shorts, you can see them. And so it's not like a beautiful flow of skin. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes I'm like, eh, eh, it's OK. And then and then I look at it and then I'm, I just see the the story behind it. And I just see just victory. and. Um, yeah, I would never want to change. I, ne- I would never want to have them go away. <laughs> I, I, I love them. So like a reminder of the, journey. yeah, it's a reminder of, every, of everything I've been through and everything God has brought me out of. And what better reminder <laughs> really it's, 
it's basically tattooed my body. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Well, tell me about Master Bang for a little bit because you've been with training with him for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. He was a, a huge blessing in my life. And actually, I tell everyone, and I told him, uh, he was the answer to my prayers. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I, I I told him that because uh, it's it's true. <laughs> in 2016, after I didn't qualify for the Rio Olympics, and I, I felt, you know, by God that I had to c- continue on, that that wasn't my time. I asked God, I said, okay, you know, if this is not my time, if it's the next time, well, you have to please provide me with a coach because right now I don't train with anyone. I hop around school to school. I don't have a trainer. I don't have a personal coach, someone I can call coach, right? And so if you want to be, you know, the top of your game, you need someone that that can get you to that next level. And at that point, I didn't have anyone. And so I prayed every day, every week, you know, you know, Lord, send me someone, send me someone, send me a coach that will take me to the next level that will take me to Tokyo. And I thought I was going to have to move out of the state, maybe even out of the country. And I, so I was looking around for coaches who, you know, I wanted to train with and so I, I thought I was going to have to travel out and I was, you know, coming to peace with that. And then I got a message in the summer of 2016 that Master Bong was going to open up a school here in Houston and if I would like to join. And when I got it, I just I didn't believe it. So I was just like, oh, hey, uh, yeah, sure. Just please let me know when you open up. I, I just didn't quite believe it because Master Bong was at the Rio Olympic Games right then and there coaching Mexico uh, at the Olympics. Wow. And so it was just kind of, I was very confused about the whole thing. But then sure enough, September comes around and the, uh, I get another message saying, hey, we're having tr- uh, training with Master Bong. Come this week, blah, 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 blah. I come, I see Master Bong and I was like, whoa. This is trippy. Like Master Bong, <laughs> five-time Olympic head coach for Mexico, is you now totally in knew who he was, huh? That's so cool. Yeah, I was. I was very weirded out, and so I had to ask. <laughs> I was like, okay, so what's the plan of action? Like, are you guys actually opening up a school here? And sure enough, and guess where we were training? <laughs> where we were training at Legends. Oh, were you really? <laughs> yeah, that's where we were training at first for like uh, three months. Oh, that's so funny. And uh, so it's so funny. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they actually opened up their school three months later. And since then, you know, since 2016, after the Rio Olympic Games, uh, Master Bong has been my coach. Oh, that's so cool. Sorry, I called him Master Bang. That's the Texan coming out of me. But I have to say for for our audience listening, um, Legends, we were, Victoria and I were talking about that before we started recording that um, Legends is this like workout place uh, close to where we live. And my church is actually there now. So we kind of had this whole joke. So it's really funny. We were both training there before it became my church. (laughs) That is so cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's so funny. Well, that's so awesome. So and you're still training with with Master Bong and you're going to go with him to Tokyo? I w- I'm still training with him, yes. Okay. Um, but that was another, you know, kind of political thing. I was trying to get, you know, him to be the one in my chair. And you know how politics are because he's not, you know, Puerto Rican or he's not, you know, from Puerto Rico. They won't let him they won't let him be in my chair at the Olympics. So 
I was like, okay, you know, that's fine. Now, can you at least get him an Olympic credential? And they were trying to do that, but they can't come back with saying, you know, because of the COVID, they're limiting credentials and the amount that we give out. So he's not going to be able to go with me at all. I will have my um, coach from Puerto Rico. So, you know, I was sad about that. That master bong, you know, he, I train with him every single week and, you know, he's the one that brought me to this level really. And, um, you know, I I don't know why things happen and, you know, it, I, it still hasn't happened yet, but we'll see. I'm I'm sure he will give you much wisdom to go to Tokyo with. So I wouldn't worry too much about that point, but, um, yeah, that's, that's so cool. And you, during the like pandemic lockdown, you didn't just sit around eating bonbons or even just train. Like you opened a studio with your fiance. Like, tell us about that. Yeah. So we, uh, so actually it was because of the pandemic, we did it. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny, (laughs) but, um, I never saw myself opening up a, a Taekwondo school at that point in my life. But my fiance and his best friend, you know, they they were always talking about opening up a parkour school. And I was very supportive of it. And I was always trying to tell them, like, yeah, you got to do it. And they wanted me to kind of join. And I wanted to join because, like, shoot, that would be really cool. A parkour <laughs> and Taekwondo school. Like, yeah. Who's heard of that? And uh, I told him, OK, well, let's make it. Let's make a deal. If the Olympics are delayed for next year we'll go ahead and open it up starting now <laughs> but if if the olympics are this year we'll open it up after the olympics are over so they were delayed and so as soon as we found that news out boom we started looking for places and we found the place really quickly and yeah and then it just went from there and we opened in uh september of 2020 that's so cool so do you coach like full time there yeah yeah so that's that's my job, right? Uh, right now, I'm actually taking a step back and I, I brought in uh, another master instructor and he's uh, amazing. The students love him. So I'm so happy. Um, so he's phenomenal. But before him, uh, before all this, you know, I was tra- I was uh, coaching there every single day. And and uh, yeah, it was. What do you have the Olympics to focus on or something? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh. So we, we got to take a step back a little bit, but my students are in great hands. So I'm, I'm very happy about it. That's cool. Well, when you get back, you'll have great stories to tell them. So it will definitely be worth it, I'm sure. Well, now I understand you had some questions you wanted to ask me. You wanted to turn the tables a little bit. Do you have those with yeah. you? Yeah, I'm so excited that I get to ask you questions. I don't know how many people get to say that. But, um, you know, as I was telling you in the beginning, um, you're someone I I look up to, you know, I follow you on Instagram, and I follow your posts. And it's so much inspiration for me. And, you know, when I read it, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, that's like, that's like exactly what I went through or that's exactly what I'm going through or that's exactly what I needed to hear. And I was just like, man, I just, I wish I I can talk to her. (laughs) And here we are. I love it. This is, this makes me so happy because you, you know, you just never know. You put stuff out in the universe. You just don't know if anybody's going to see it or how it impacts people. So it's, it's nice to hear that it's, Hey, if it's helping you and you're the only person that makes me feel really good. Oh, yeah, it's definitely it's it's definitely been helping me. So the first one was is basically I I mean, this is going to be my first Olympics, right? God willing, I I go and 
Um, this would be my first one. As a veteran, as Olympic gold medalist, what is the best advice you can give to someone like myself competing at their first Olympics? I am going to give you the best advice that someone gave me. So my coach uh, was Canadian. He competed for Canada. And so we stayed with some of his Canadian friends after I made my first Olympic team. And her experience at the Olympics was in 1976 in Montreal as a Canadian athlete. And so that's exciting, but it's also a lot of pressure. And she struggled with that. So her advice to me was when you get to the Olympics, soak it in. Love it. Love everything about the Olympics that you've dreamed of and that you've thought about. Like, soak it in. But when you get in your competition venue and it's time to do your thing, it's exactly what you've been doing. Like, the competitors are not new. This is the same people you've competed against a million times. You're doing the same, you know, for me, it was the same dives. For you, maybe the same actions. It's the same things. Nothing is new there. You know, the only difference is there, well, there's not going to be more spectators this time, but there'll be the cameras. There'll be just the pressure of, in general, the Olympic Games. But it's just this aura. It's not what's actually real. What's real is you getting in the arena and doing your sport. Like, and that is stable. That's not different. But people get so lost in the aura and the bigness and the pressure of the Olympic Games. But just you got to be able to let that go. You know what I mean? Soak it in when you're outside the venue and love all that stuff. But when it's time to do your work, it's time to do your competition. That's when you let it go. And you just, this is the same thing I've been doing for how many years now? I know exactly what I'm doing and be confident. Awesome. I just wrote all of that down, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I really did. So um, yeah, I'm definitely taking notes. Good. (laughs) So I know you've been out of retirement and, uh, you know, and you're, you're coming back. Can you kind of, you know, explain maybe what's different now coming out of retirement as opposed to before when you were, I guess, who were younger. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely put. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I have four kids now. That's very different. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah, I mean, if you can, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. When I retired, I was old. So, I mean, that's, you know, (laughs) I don't know why I came back. No, I think the difference now is uh, I would say the biggest part is that I know who I am outside of the pool, you know, as an athlete. And when you're an athlete for a very long period of time, I mean, you're okay being outside of your sport, but you don't truly have to have an identity outside of your sport because you're still kind of doing it. So to be forced into that place, and and there was a period of a couple of years where, because when I retired, my only goal was to be a mom. Uh, if I can't dive, I'm ready to be a mom. That's all I want to do. And we couldn't have kids at the beginning. And so I had to kind of fight through that. And um, for me, it was a very personal battle with God um, of trying to learn that he is really, he needs to be enough for me. He is enough, but I didn't recognize that, but he needs to be enough. And if his plans aren't what I think my plans should be for my life, his plans are different. I have to be okay with that. And really learning that his grace is sufficient, no matter what I'm going through, no matter if my plans work out or they fail, or I completely have to change course. And so I feel like the time outside of my sport has given me a very different perspective on life and my pursuit of things. And and much like you talked about earlier, how you finally came to this point of like, instead of inviting God along for the ride, like 
no, really, I'm okay if you shut the door because I want your will instead of mine. And um, that's really, I'm in more of that place because when I came back and I was even just thinking about coming back, I was like, I don't want to invite you along. I don't, I've made that mistake for too long. I don't want to do that. If you want me doing this, because I kept saying, here I am, send me. It kept bringing me back to the pool. And I'm like, I don't want to go there. (laughs) You know, I'm done. Like, I don't want to go there again. But because I kept thinking it was because it was me. That was what I wanted to do and not what he wanted me to do. So I kept asking him like you did to just close the doors. If this is not where you want me, close the doors, close the doors. But every time we would come to like this brick wall with no doors, he would make a door and he would find this way through. And it, I'm telling you, the last five years has been a big struggle for me. And there's been a lot of times where I've been like, please take this cup from me. I don't want it anymore, but your will, not mine. And um, I feel like I've had to fight really hard to get to this point, but he has been so gracious. And every time I felt doubtful, but I knew that I was where he wanted me, I'm just like, please show me that this is still where you want me. And he would give me just enough so that I knew I was in the right place. And I knew I was where he wanted me, even if it didn't look good to anyone around me, I knew. And that gave me great confidence continuing on, you know, because I have no idea what's coming, but I know where I'm where I'm supposed to be. And that's all that really matters. You know, that's for him to, to use this for my good and for his glory. Wow, that's that's so cool. I actually, I, everything that you just said, not every single detail, but uh, to sum it up, like I can identify with that so much through kind of just, um, you know, I, like I like I told you, like I wanted to, I wanted to stop. I didn't want to go on any longer, and the doors just kept opening up, and I was just like, well, if this is this is it, you're <laughs> you're gonna have to do this because I'm done. I'm done trying. So that's so cool. I love hearing that. And I very much resonated when you were telling your story. (laughs) That's so cool. During the finals for that Olympic gold medal, can you kind of tell me or run through your thoughts during the, the finals? Yeah, there were a lot of thoughts. (laughs) It was a crazy finals. We do five dives in the finals and, um, you know, the first two rounds were okay, but I was way behind. I was coming from behind and, and I knew that, but I have, I like love quotes. And so one of the quotes that I love was, um, you don't have to have the lead if you have the heart to come from behind. And I had already come back from breaking my foot in three places. It was still kind of mangled as I had a bone that had calcified underneath my foot, you know, and I was still in a lot of pain, but I knew that I had the heart after going through what we had been through. And our third round, it was kind of funny because my headphones totally died. And I always listen to music in between to kind of get me in that right headspace. And my headphones died. And I wanted to totally panic. But I remember looking at my hand and imagining this mustard seed in my hand because I had seen that like years before in some youth group. And I remember that verse about mustard seed faith. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And I kept, I remember I kept staring at my hand, thinking about how tiny that mustard seed was. And I was like, surely I've got that much faith. And it was really cool because I became very confident for that dive. It was when I knew I could do well. And um, when I hit that dive, the cool part was I felt really good about it, but I, I knew I was still so far behind. But then this very dramatic thing happened where all four of the girls that were ahead of me missed their dives. And I, I couldn't see the scoreboard, but at that point I had caught up and I was actually leading by like a point. But I knew at that point, like I had a shot. And and the next two I were very, I mean, there's so so much in there. I don't want to go on forever. But um, one of my favorite moments of, of the Sydney Olympics before my last dive, when I was waiting for them to call my name, 
I kind of had this moment where I realized that this was my dream. Like being in the Olympics, I had a shot at a medal. Like I didn't know if I was about to end up first or I was about to end up fifth, but like I was in the, I was living the dream. You know what I mean? And it just hit me. And I remember I was like panoramic picture in my mind of where everybody was sitting, where my coach was, where my teammates were, where my parents were. I can still hear my brother yelling, that's my sister across the pool. And I loved that moment because not everybody gets to walk out their dreams. You know, I mean, I've had a lot of big dreams that I've fallen very short of, but in that moment, I was living it. And to me, that was one of the greatest things that I got to take away. And I mean, it was, became even better. I got to stay on the award stand, but even if I hadn't, like that was worth it. Wow. That's so cool. I like visualized <laughs> all of that. You just being there at, in the finals and thinking all that. That's so cool. <laughs> what a feeling, man. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Yeah. So how has your faith helped you throughout your career? I mean, so much of your story resonates with me just because it has been a very big part of my career. I felt like I really began to follow God um, in the middle of a diving meet. And he has just shown me lesson after lesson through diving, because I think honestly, because that's sometimes the only way I'll pay attention. And, um, you know, I'm very stubborn sometimes. And so it takes a lot to really catch my attention and and to make me change. And I just love how he's, he's used diving to show me these lessons that I have learned since to take outside of the pool and apply to my life. And then, you know, all this time out of the pool, now back in, I have all these life lessons that I get to bring back into the pool that I feel like he's taught me. And and I love that I feel very dependent on him too. Because I mean, there's a lot of fear in my sport. There's a lot of, I, I mean, just like every sport, you know, there's fear, there's physical challenges, there's mental challenges, all of those things. And I love that now I feel even more dependent on him than ever because, you know, on paper, I look real bad. You know, like I'm 43, I'm a mom, I was out for a decade. Like I've got all these injuries, you know, I've got a plate in my neck. Like I, you know, I mean, I look terrible on paper, but it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? When I trust God, like he does these amazing things. And one of the verses he really brought to me when we couldn't have kids was, um, you know, like that, that one in second Corinthians when Paul is asking him to remove the thorn, but God says, my grace is sufficient. And I got stuck there for a long time because I was like, I don't think it is. He wasn't enough for me at that time. But when I recognized that he needed to be enough for me, no matter what, I was finally able to move past that part where he says, my power is made perfect made perfect in weakness. And, you know, now I do want to boast about my weaknesses because that's the chance for the power of Christ to rest upon me and for the world to see, you know, exactly what he can do. Because, I mean, if you look at the Bible, all the people he chose to work through were not great. Like, they're not strong, awesome people. They all have these massive issues, you know? And, uh, And I just love that because that's how I feel sometimes. It's like, who am I that you would want to choose me to do this thing? But yet he does, you know, just like Gideon. He was like the weakest dude from the weakest tribe. But God said, no, you are a mighty warrior, you know? And when God calls you that, that's what you are, you know? So just really, really learning to be dependent on him. And, and I used to love getting through things that were scary, but I was dependent on him and he got me through it. And it was just so fulfilling, but I'd be like, but I never want to experience that again because it was terrifying and, and awful and hard. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then you're away from that for a while and you long for it because that dependence on him and that closeness you feel with him is so much better than having a comfortable life. Right. Oh, wow. That's so good. Oh yeah. I would definitely say you know, with all everything that, you know, I've gone through the hardships and, you know, the pain, all of that, it's definitely been living, right? It's definitely been 
me alive and uh, God present with me and me be- being able to feel that. So that's so good. I love that. Good. That was, that was, and about uh, the verse that uh, you quoted, uh, my, my powers made uh, perfect in weaknesses. That's one of my favorite, favorite verses. And uh, yeah, it, it just speaks to me so much with, well, just, I guess me not only being, um, I, I guess you can say weak with the physical cir- circumstances that I have, but actually going into these Olympics, um, I think I'll be maybe one of the last seated, if not the last seated, probably because there's 16 in the in the division. And so I'll probably be either 14, 15 or 16. One of those depends. But uh, regardless, you know, on paper, like you're saying, I'm, I'm, you know, going in last seated, one of the last seated, I have all these physical limitations and, or, you know, surgeries. And um, it's just funny how that works. And uh, God doesn't see any of that. He sees the bigger picture. So cool. And it's funny because I, I did tattoo that verse on my foot where I had broken it so, and it looks right back at me. So anytime I have any question or doubt, I can just look right down at it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. I have to see that. I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a picture. <laughs> oh, yeah, please. All right. What uh, what was your biggest goal when when competing at the Olympics? I love goals. So I have all, I always have all kind, probably too many goals, but like, I mean, it's definitely like definitely gold and winning is one of them, but I know in order to get there, I need to do certain things. You know, I need to aim for certain scores, certain actions on my dive. And really for me now, like when I break it down, the biggest thing that I need to do is stay in the moment. I need to not be distracted by what just happened or what's coming or any of the results or anything. I just need to stay in the here and now, very present with God and just what I need to do in this moment. And when I can do that, that's when I feel free. That's when I dive my best. That's when I feel the most fulfilled. And there's those moments, and maybe you've had this, but when I really feel like I'm in that moment and I'm and I'm with God doing what I feel like I was created to do, it feels like an act of worship. Like when you're standing in, in church and you're, seeing, you're belting out that song at the top of your lungs, you feel so connected. Like oh, yeah. that's what sometimes diving feels like for me when I can bring it all together and be in the moment and be with God. It's a beautiful feeling. And that to me is, is the the best thing. And that's, that's where I want to be. Because I know, I know then the results will take care of themselves if I can do that. That's beautiful. Wow. So good. I definitely wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, that was pretty much all the questions I had. But questions. um, I, I know you, uh, you're going to team trials is that next week. Yeah, I leave. I leave next week. I don't compete. I compete on the 9th. I have prelims and semifinals. And then on the 13th, I have um, my finals. And so it's, we do five dives in each round and they add up all the scores cumulatively from every session. So it'll be like when your most consistent people and the top two go. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, so this is obviously, this is uh, Team USA trials. This yes. is not uh, uh, international, right? Right. This is the Team USA. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. And they're doing it so, so close to Tokyo. It's always is, like that. Is it always for, like that? Yeah. For diving, gymnastics, swimming and track, we're always like right a month before. It's crazy. Wow. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, My parents have had to scramble to find places to stay before. <laughs> it's always, always a little insane. <laughs> that's so interesting. Well, and then I, I have some, uh, just I think one more question that just popped in. I feel, I hope that's okay. But 
after this is the qualifier or after you qualify, that's uh, straight to Tokyo, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have time at home, but then, yeah, we'll go to Tokyo at some point. I don't think you can get to the village to like, what, seven days before you compete or something? Right. I think it's uh, five five days before yeah. uh, for, for us anyways. Mm-hmm. They told us five days before. Um, so, you know, about, you know, no one being able to enter Japan, you know, no, no family, nothing. It's literally just you and your team. What are your thoughts on that? Not a big fan um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Um, my kids were really upset too. And I was really upset they can't be there, but I'm really glad they can go to trials, which was hard enough to get into um, with ticketing restrictions, but really thankful they can see me there. But honestly, you know, when I'm I'm trying to prepare myself for that, I'm just looking at that as an opportunity. Like they can, you know, watch on TV and get the full coverage. Um, they don't have to worry about the traveling. My my poor husband doesn't have to travel with four young kids all by himself overseas. But <laughs> but also that you know I'm I'm going to be we're going to kind of be holed up in the village. I don't think we can go very many places either. So I'm I'm kind of looking as like you know what maybe I can just really spend that time dependent with God and just really, it's not a lot of time. I mean, usually we're there for like a month beforehand, you know, in the village and and maybe we can go, I guess, to training camps outside the village, but we can only be there for a few days. So to me, that almost feels less intense. Like, okay, I don't have to be away from my family for so long. So I'm trying to find the good things about it. And I'm trying, you know, I mean, what else do you do? I mean, yeah, I could be really depressed about it, but I can't change anything. So I'm really just trying to look at the good sides to it and okay, well, what can I do with this as an opportunity instead of just being upset about it. Yeah, that's so good. I um I I actually came had that thought as well about, you know, basically, you know, I ha- I'm alone <laughs> and uh that's just me and God's time, you know, that's just a, a good way to kind of I guess beforehand go into competition where it's just me and God and I I guess it's that's going to be a really cool way to look at it and if, you know, I'll just focus on that. But I thought it was just super interesting how um, it's going to be weird. Yeah. How all of this is playing out. But, But, you know, and that's and this is how, though, the Olympics, there's always something that happens at the Olympics. And there's always something weird that's going to happen. And you have to learn how to roll with the punches. And this is one of those things we had in 2004 in the middle of a diving event. Some guy runs out of the stands in a tutu and starts jumping on the springboard. And like nobody stopped him. And this went on for like a while. It was ridiculous. After they and after they get this guy out of the pool, everybody freaked out in the competition. Like China, of all things, like failed to dive. Russia hit the board. These were like our top teams. Like it was the weirdest competition because this guy got in there and broke everything up. So it's like you gotta kind of expect the unexpected and just roll with it. You know what I mean? Just kind of let it like, okay, that's weird. And then let it go. And you got to be able to move on through that. So when you know the weird things are going to happen, <laughs> then maybe it's a little mm-hmm. easier when they actually yeah, come. Yeah. Yep. Here it is. <laughs> so that's a good point. Well, yeah, that was, that was all my questions I had for you. I thank you for taking it. Of course. I'm so glad you had those coming on that made this uh, a little extra special, but Victoria, before you go, like, where can we follow you, support and cheer you on online? So my Instagram page is Stambaugh Victoria. And so it's just my last name and my first name, or is it, I'm sorry. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. Don't worry. Yeah, it's Victoria Stamball. Sorry, that was my email. (laughs) (laughs) I get them confused. But my Instagram is just Victoria Stamball. So you can catch up with me there on Instagram or my Facebook, Victoria Stamball as well. I'll be posting. um, Well, actually, I think I'm going to 
cut out of my social media, I think four weeks before Tokyo and I'll have uh, my fiance take over. Oh, that's good. So he'll still be posting updates and stuff like that. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. And she's also got a website, victoriastambaugh.com. You can find out all about her history and her cool new um, facility and everything on there. So Victoria, thank you so much for joining us. This was a real treat. Um, I love that we just kind of turned it into a fun talk and you got to turn the tables and uh, (laughs) hopefully I will get to hang out with you in Tokyo. But if not, we're grabbing a coffee before you go. Oh, absolutely. Yes. It's a deal. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.